Hello and welcome to Talking Moves, a podcast from Greenwich Dance where dance artists come together to talk about their work and practice, the things that matter and the issues that move them. I'm Melanie Precious and in this episode I'm talking to two artists about the challenges of staying creative through COVID. In the last eight months, the world we thought we knew has changed almost beyond recognition. Every one of us has had to adapt the way we work, the way we live, the way we shop, the way we educate, the way we consume culture, and of course, the ways we create it. Amidst all of this, have artists been feeling exhilarated at the prospect of new behaviours and new ideas, or exhaustion at the sheer effort needed to plan amidst an ever-changing world? Just how much artistry can really be expected from artists at this time of crisis? To answer that, I'm joined by Emma Houston, aka B-Girl Shortbread. She's a maker, performer and teacher, and recently wrote an insightful blog for us as part of our GD Life in Lockdown series, where she talked about the harrowing experience of getting COVID herself and her emotional reaction to the death of George Floyd. And John Darvell, choreographer, dance educationalist, community practitioner and innovator in participatory digital art. Within the same blog series, John wrote of the pressures and intensity of reimagining everything, of trying to keep his communities and artists at Nocturne supported whilst caring for himself and the need to learn new skills so quickly. John, Emma, it's a huge pleasure for us to have you here in our virtual space. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So, Emma, where were you artistically before all this began? So February 2020, what were you up to? February 2020, I was performing on West End show called Message in a Bottle. And that was a project I've been working on since November. And you were dance captain, am yeah. I right in thinking? Yeah, I was dance captain and played three parts in the show as well. So I guess for anyone that doesn't know what a dance captain's role is, basically every company will work differently, but you kind of leading rehearsals when the rehearsal director or associate isn't there, leading like the warm-ups and cool-downs, like making sure like I was in charge of the female roles. So like knowing who did what and where they were in space, all of those sort of things and being able to note them down and do that like simultaneously to also learning a role and um, keeping one eye and then the other eye in the back of my head on the other role. And performing as well. Yeah, and, and performing. I performed six of the eight shows a week and then the other two I would usually note the show. So like be sat in the auditorium and give notes out to um, the dancers or like just general things or specific notes um, which is yeah a busy so it was busy time and very <laughs> physical but yeah, also but yeah. also very, mentally very challenging as you say yeah. and and John what was your dancing life like I suppose it was planning for summer great projects ahead it was very busy with all the community and schools work and also I was in that process of getting back onto the saddle of thinking I'm going to reapply for funding for big projects getting ready to hit the send button for then it all to go uh pitong really. <laughs> All to go, Pete you take me straight into that. So mm. crisis has a knack of distilling what the most important things in life are. What became for you, John, at that time, COVID's hit, plans halted. What were your priorities and what was important to you? I think as artists, I think we become really highly tuned to observe 
and I think it was prior to actually lockdown hitting, anxiety for me was like at a factor 100 and plus because it was observing all this weird behavior that was going on of like the shops not having food in and thinking actually something really important and drastic um, and life-changing is about to happen. And I think as soon as it happened, uh, for me personally, it was numbness. I was just unable to do anything. You know, um, it just become very basic. It was like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It was, have I got food on the table? Um, am I in a safe place? Um, you know, what's going to happen at home? Is there money coming in to be able to support? Um, everything else just totally shut down. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and personally, just felt as though I've, instead of being a whole person, became a fractured person. Um, there was many more sides. It was like working on two different levels, two different people going on at the same time. So you had a program of classes going on uh, before COVID did you? Did that, how yeah. quickly did you switch that online? Because you've got a, quite a, a, a library now of um, online tutorials, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, it took a long time. I think um, because of my background and not being uh, coming from dance at an early age and actually being in work, uh, until I was 30 before I actually trained in dance. There was, Which there was, is incredible. You know, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, or foolishly went into dance, maybe. <laughs> um, it was more of a skill of uh, knowing when to step back and just stop. So actually I was probably, uh, well, I did take a lot more time just observing what everybody else was doing than actually jumping straight in. Um, it felt like the dance community suddenly went, we've got to get all our dance classes online, you know, mm. we've got to do this, we've got to be really creative. And that was a big turnoff for me. Um, and I didn't think at the time we were looking at it from a consumer point of view as to, is that the best way to go about it? So mm. I cheekily just thought, I'll let everybody try and fail and then pick the best bits and do it for myself <laughs> a little bit later. When I dug down into your portfolio and your blog that you wrote for us and you, you talked very much about uh wilson i love that you personified your video rig <laughs> he's, he's just over here i know he's just over here looking at me <laughs> he's I, always I, watching I, he's always watching always watching yeah <laughs> um but but you are as as i said in the introduction you you've been an innovator in in digital uh, presentation you did a whole performance on social media probably before any of us were thinking about doing work that way i was surprised i suppose that in your blog you talked about wilson making you cry what what, what oh, was it that, um, that scared you so much well i don't uh, know when... if, if emma felt this but as soon as you start filming yourself and then knowing that it's going out it made me cry because it made me so insecure i was thrown into this situation where 24 7 every day was f looking at something that didn't talk back to me then He's looking what I... at it now yeah i'm looking <laughs> <laughs> Evil Wilson sitting over here. Um, and then taking that and then putting on a computer and then having to look at yourself uh, was, do I actually teach like that? Do I actually sound like that? You know, in my head, I'm, I'm sounding like a, a quite nice uh, Southern, well-educated person. Um, and actually what comes across is more this Camp Geordie you know, when you hear it back, you're like, okay. Um, and, and, and just making um, horrible critical assumptions about your abilities, mm. put it as in a real down place. Thankfully, it didn't last for long because yes. you kind of got over it after seeing it so long, uh, so many times. But it was a real difficult place to kind of basically get out of. Yes. Emma, did you try doing, did you film anything or get involved in 
any online classes I know it's a bit more different to where you started from but mm. uh, with your with your b-girling world as well was there anything that you were delving into in a video manner well I did a couple of breaking workshops online I guess because I was recovering from COVID and that took quite a while like I had requested that I was able to do my pre-recordings like in small chunks but still kind of like similarly John to what you were saying like it just took me forever to actually like trim the videos and say the things properly and it took me like way longer than it would have taken to actually just deliver a session and I thought that was really interesting because like yeah it's like social media I guess this editing of yourself and putting out this version this perfect version where in real life if you're delivering a session you're in the moment with it but I did find it kind of it's just a new way isn't it of delivering and translating your practice to people so um. absolutely in your blog you talked about a zoom session that you'd undertaken which was more professional development I think which you talked really excitedly about how that had started to enrich you in that hard yeah in that hard time um, yeah, I did, a, like? I did a project with Adam Camerling, who's a poet, and he he led us through, like, we did a, maybe two, three weeks in total over, over lockdown of, like, a, a Zoom R&D set up. That was really great, because there were six of us in total, and there was a couple of people I hadn't met prior to the R&D, and there was a, a couple of people I knew, so it was, like, a nice mix of, like, musicians and dancers, and the subject matter was really interesting. It's kind of like, I won't go too much into it, because that's his project, and it's not out yet, so <laughs> I'll, okay. uh, I'll not divulge keep us up to date with that um yeah it was it was fun you contracted covid which floored me as i was reading about this but uh, quite early on in in the pandemic didn't you in, in very early march do you want to just talk us very quickly about what that was like and and then how that affected your way of thinking about being a creative what did it feel like to to be a creative and have that illness is this for me i don't know yes um, i think you're you're the only one you're out the of the three one. of us i'm the only one yeah. oh gosh yeah. Um, well, to be honest, it made me realise like human fragility for sure and the impact of stress on the body like as a contributing factor to illness and that there's always an intersection of reasons why someone may get more ill than others. Um, and I guess like being the person that was very, very ill at that time, it was very humbling in a way um, and also kind of like what John was saying earlier about everything just being stripped away and I guess mine was in a different way it was like everything being completely like obliterated and then I'm just there as an as an entity that is not separate from or connected to anything so it's kind of this really weird state of being um I guess it was a very different like the acute moments of like having like severe symptoms that at one point prompted me to call an ambulance from that point to then the months of recovery which is like a very different process you know you've got the immediate process of like I don't know if I'm gonna survive at all and that went on for however long it went on for and like so there's all these different stages I went through in that respect so it wasn't like I didn't feel I'll be honest I didn't feel a draw to do anything because I wasn't I mean a I wasn't able to do anything but also when I, after about four weeks, I kind of tried to get back. And you saw me actually one morning, you saw me do out front doing like my star jumps by the bins. And because and, uh, Melanie and I live around the corner from each other. But like, that was kind of like something that actually set me back further because it was too soon for me to kind of even go back to like a fraction of the practice that I was doing or in the middle of doing, you know, I was kind of like literally at peak fitness levels. And yeah. 
even me operating at say 20% was like way too much for my body so I didn't actually think I realized the toll that it had taken on my body so then after that point it was like well there was an actual like just letting go of that desire to do any movement and that was really like tough as well because I'm letting go of something I've done my whole life you know before I started dance like I've been exercising you know as my whole whole life so it's the longest period in my existence of like not moving and having to give yourself the permission I suppose in order to get Mm -hmm. stronger to not to not do what you love and what is you dancing is you isn't it it's more than a job it's 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 what you do Mm. and and that's probably the same for many of us but I think for many artists, there is that sense of this is all we do. And now it's it's been taken away. John, you're nodding. Yeah, I was really touched by Emma's uh, blog entry about talking and especially that time of you sitting, just waiting to find out if you're getting an ambulance turning up. Mm. Um, I thought that was an incredibly brave situation to get yourself through. Thank you. And, and just reading it also just was all my anxieties <laughs> was your experience, you know. <laughs> All my ifs, ands, but what's yeah. what it could be, you just basically went through. There's like it's always that thing, like there's, there's so many levels in which anxiety manifests and I'd thought of it only as a mind manifestation, mm. but it's so much a body manifestation to the point where it kind of almost like I realised it was manifesting there. Like it, it brought me a new level of consciousness to it. Cause it cause every time I'd get a flare up of symptoms, I would like really have to sit and go how how much can I separate that anxiety from the symptom? Yeah. yeah. And then how can I sit with the symptom and be with the symptom and not add to the symptom? Because as soon as you kind of add a little bit of something to the symptom, it's a hundred times worse. You know? It's like, okay, how can I just be with this? And and that's really hard if you can't breathe. Right? It's like yeah. you know, but it kind of that was that was pretty quite a, a profound thing that I learned through that it's powerful and for you John when lockdown happened I don't know a week or so it's hard it's hard to think about time now isn't it because it all sort of washes into one you don't know if something took a week or if it was just a day later that you did something but at what point did did you go through without the COVID obviously but did you go through that same process that Emma did of of going "I, I don't even know if I want to dance oh actually this is what I do I I will do lessons or is it was it different for you because you had a community of artists and participants that were looking to you for that activity and that creativity as well so you had a responsibility not just for yourself but for your for your company for your for your users your participants your communities yeah I think along the lines of Emma that actually um you know over the last five or six years I've been dealing with anxiety and I'm also hidden it very well publicly um this situation meant that actually that was unable to happen um Mm. and my anxiety weirdly manifests just in physical symptoms that make me anxious so during that process i think looking back over it now there was that period of i just can't do anything i can't really think then there was a real period of no there was a lot of no and rejection um you know every single bit of funding that was out there was either i was uneligible for or turned around and told no um didn't get funding from arts council you know so it was loads of different avenues of trying to get support to help me through that period was just a, a, a shut door and 
shut doors for me then become this real challenge. I think it's most probably because of being a gay man from a, a period where, you know, no, you can't do that because of whatever is a red flag and makes me go, well, um, I'm stubborn. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, so yes, then it became a period of, well, actually, uh, the community and all these people still need something. So mm -hmm. if the venues are saying no, and I'm unable to do it in a space, the thing that surprised me was we don't need a lot of stuff. We have the sure. skills. We are creative. We just need to look around ourselves and suddenly things happen. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, then it became, I'll do stuff online. Um, I'll find a new format. I'll, f I'll get through this period of I'm unable to watch myself because the benefit of it is community and participation and engaging with people is way more important. And once I'm able to re-kickstart that, the mental health benefit on myself and my practice uh, kind of refires it up and gets you going again. And did you find that that process of reimagining and, and changing and shifting in response to the pandemic and, and the need to do so uh, created any sparks of something new for you that might feed you as you look forwards? Yeah, um, I don't know, Emma, if, if, if this happened for you, but actually one key thing that I got out of the experience was conversations with people were more authentic, more mm. genuine and actually had more time. Nobody had an agenda as an artist thinking about their own work because there was not much that anybody could really do. There was a better period of being able to have a conversation with somebody and that could go on for a long time without thinking that there was a product or a process or a funding application that needed to be done out of yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, one great example of that for me was um, I re reconnected with um, a dancer called Thomas Young, who's over in Norway. He came for an audition for one of my pieces uh, way back, and we'd not been able to do anything together. So we just connected, you know, and just sent him and said, do you fancy a chat on Zoom? Then it became like a, a regular weekly thing. And, you know, he was going through a tough time. I'm going through a tough time. And it was an opportunity just to talk as individuals to talk about this tough time. From that then led on to more creative things about talking about us as artists. Then it became a process of he sort of goading me, me goading him, of what could we do creatively with the stuff that we had. The end point of that was me with my iPhone, husband in the garage, me with just the light on the iPhone, basically wafting it back up and down and kind of making movements to kind of see what visually would come out of it. The real benefit of all of that process has been that actually we've got a bit of funding from Norway to take that into a completed thing. And it was just such a more rewarding process than thinking we've got to write an application about a project that we're basically imagining that we have no idea what it's going to be. And we've got to come up with some uh, marketing material and a plan for it before we've actually stepped into some kind of creative space. Yeah, so it came from a different place, hasn't it? You've, you've yeah. approached that from within, it's come out and then you have to find the resources to resource that idea rather than let's find the resources and work yeah. out what fits. Yeah. That's yeah. really organic, exciting. So creativity, I always think, is, is the fuel artists feed themselves with. But I'm really conscious that at this time, much has been said about the way that freelancers have 
really suffered, almost being forgotten in the government's financial package and seeing their livelihood. Emma, for you, your contract just cancelled, I'm assuming. Mm. And I wonder with that going on in the background, now being creative is what you have to do, not just to stay sane, but to stay paid, how that's felt for you in the midst of a global crisis. So what has that felt like for you, Emma? Um, Well, that's been a tricky one because obviously, like, my work, I wasn't at a place to be able to do that, like, full capacity. Or I've been fortunate to have enough things come through that will kind of help covering basic financial costs. Um, And when you say things come through, do you mean funding or, or grants come through or work come through? I got the um, Arts Council Emergency uh, Response Grant, which was Mm -hmm. amazing, and got a bit of money from Boy Blue, the company, uh, which was, again, really kind of them because we were meant to be recommencing with some rehearsals. And then, like, a couple, like, the the Zoom projects have done a couple of things here and there, you know, that have also been, like, maybe I can kind of input in different ways rather than, like, full out dancing you know it's been like I've been able to kind of do things at a reduced capacity as well as having the the support from HMRC self-employed grant um, you know it, things like that that got me through mm. that time and as well mm. I'd been working I like I was fortunate as well to be working and had been working consistently the, the previous year and um, kind of probably the most I'd worked consecutively back-to-back project wise so I felt like I had kind of managed to keep myself um, stable in that regard which also I kind of you realize well that money isn't necessarily for the, shouldn't necessarily be for this is money that you know as an artist like you kind of hard graft and, and put it aside for to save but what it does mean is that it's like well that's there at the end of the day it's there so that's kind of been my situation I guess like right now is kind of a bit of a critical time in because it's at that point where I'm like okay I need to think about what I'm doing now to make money like that's kind of come in now whereas like up until this point I was able to kind of just stay afloat you know what I mean just get by yeah and how about you John has the need to be earning money influenced or affected the choices that you've made over the last couple of months in terms of your creative output yes I suppose it's left me with a positive rage (laughs) um (laughs) I would class it at where I thought a support would come from venues, organisations, people who I've been involved with, that wasn't there. Where it did come from was actually from the communities and the schools and the work that we're doing more widely. So I think for me that it made me think that actually the focus or the energy, I'm going to put more into that than actually organisations who I would have, you know, think that I would need to go to Mm. because it's it's that scratching of backs of kind of going, actually, I've helped you deliver your program but in the time of need talking to people the perception was I don't need to hear from you that I need to make work that is about COVID related things I don't need uh, to make work to get money to basically do stuff that is relating to elements or um, I I just need money to survive you know Mm. that's what I think that's most artists were just asking for can I just survive yeah actually it was more hoops and actually competition so that positive rage yeah. for me has left me into the state of, I just want to work with people who are trying to find a way that we can make art without this feeling of competitiveness. Because I yes. think then that's we're falling back into a, an old trap of, or an old system of, there's winners and losers. 
Yep. And if we could use this um, experience to rethink that funding model yep. into a more holistic, a supportive way. I don't know what that is. I've got no answers for that. Mm. But I think collectively we could find a better yeah. system. I really love what you said and I really agree. And I think that you kind of answered it earlier when you were talking about just like these genuine connections that now have space to be made and the creativity kind of blossoms like organically because it, it kind of made me really look at my process as well in that respect and like artistic process and actually how it can easily become very separate to creativity. And then it becomes this like necessity to fit in a box or fill out a application or xyz and like i don't know this time i think has really like made me realize oh wow these things can connecting organically to that again is so fulfilling and and then it's less about anything else it's more about actually just the making of art which is really what we all want to do you know absolutely i think that uh you, you mentioned the funding model john and it's it affects us all and it really has put a wedge hasn't it between venues organizations and the freelancers of which they are instrumental into how an organisational venue can operate. I mean, mm. you can have a beautiful building, but if the freelance sector has disappeared overnight, you've got nothing to put in it. Yeah. And so actually the ecology has to be supported as one, but the funding model is driving those two apart. And it's been so distressing to see. And I, you, you said in your blog, I pulled this quote out this morning, actually, I get a real sense of being forgotten and unprotected. Yeah, I was I was really surprised talking with the artists. Difficult stories of hearing how organisations had treated artists during that really difficult time. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure there's most probably loads of uh, examples of how uh, transparency and just a bit of uh, humanity could have gone a really long <laughs> way in how they could have treated individuals even though we're all in that same situation. I mm -hmm. think just talking from other people, it felt more like being excluded, not knowing what's going to happen to their contract, having to fight for bits of their contract, you know, uh, suddenly pulling out clauses just to feel like actually just going to keep that money when we're in a really distressing state. Yeah. Um, and that hurt for me thinking this is the landscape that we're living in when we yeah. know it's a really tough landscape why aren't we supporting instead of uh, going down this other route and over this period i know we've touched a little bit on this what kind of tools of self-care have you been using you know very very specifically what's what sort of things have you done that have calmed you down kept you healthy kept you optimistic uh, at a time of challenge um, well, for me, I've got three beagles, so they are a fantastic thing of being able to go out and walk. Um, what I really liked and most probably would, um, kind of resonated with Emma's was this idea of outdoors and uh, nature, you know, real lover of forests. So as soon as uh, kind of the ability to get out after lockdown and just visit nature and be in it is a really healthy for mental health. Um, and getting to a more positive creative state and talking. I, I really understood that the key part of my practice is not about the making, it's about the working with people and talking with people and connecting with people. So the more I can do that, that is my self-care. Like moments like this, meeting new people, just having a conversation mm. is like a real plus and keeps me going. How about you, Emma? Yeah, definitely those two things, minus the beagles. 
Um, <laughs> I wish, I wish, I wish. You can um, borrow them. Oh my gosh, can I, please? <laughs> Life complete. Um, self-care things. Well, I, I was meditating a lot. That was a daily practice for me. Um, and I was doing Qigong as well. Like that, again, just bringing a little bit of movement into it. And that was definitely a big self-care thing to, to stick to. Um, yeah, cooking as well. I find that one harder to stay consistent with. But um, when I was like in pockets of time where I was just cooking every day, that was really that felt really like wholesome but yeah I would say those things and like being with myself a lot of things came to the surface and like being a member of the the LGBTQ plus community as well like the th things surrounding that came up for me um so like honoring everything that came up was like a big part of my self-care was just like honoring all of these things that were being brought to the surface rather than kind of feeling like I have to suppress anything just to let let everything come up and like let it be painful and let it be moved through let it be painful that's a that's a really powerful <laughs> motto I think to live by in this last uh, couple of months isn't it we realized when we were putting this podcast together asking anyone if they've been exhilarated might be a touch too far but <laughs> <laughs> and exhausted or you know letting it be painful might be might be closer to the truth uh, but also recognizing and there was something that you said uh, John in, in yours that, that really resonated with me and what we've had to do at Greenwich Chance you said bash your project into pieces and put it back together fit for a new world and there's something about that sort of smashing not just taking it apart but the anger involved in smashing up the old idea you had the old project the old way of living even and then reimagining it for a new world that really really touched me and I think that pulls on what Emma's just said about let, letting it be painful and then and then moving moving forward into whatever the new world has in store for us um with that in mind and drawing on what we have just said about that uh that feeling of being unprotected a bit out at sea a bit forgotten um, what do you feel the industry expects of you now as artists in terms of new ideas and creativity? And how does that feel being someone that everyone nearly forgot? Um, Either one of you. <laughs> can, I, can I say something real quick? Just a little... Please. Segue in. Little segue. It's been an interesting one for me as like someone who is a bit of a floater around and does like bits of this and bits of that and isn't really tied to one company or one organization or anything like that. Like I've really felt the whole like, oh, I just don't matter because I'm not fitting into any of those specific niche places. So like there's this kind of like just a uh, complete non-connectivity unless through these individual conversations and, and things like that like I, I mean I say this besides my kind of community work with RAD and, and connections here with Greenwich Dance and you know like kind of on a you know what I mean um, I know what you mean uh, like just that that's been definitely when asked that question about expectations I'm like well does anyone expect anything of me but at the same time there's also this to, for me to engage with things I'm going to have to mould everything into something that fits and like again go back into that pattern of moulding my project to fit something fit these parameters rather than it coming from that genuine place of like it having the time to maybe be nurtured and grow like organically yes yeah, so so that that point John made earlier about the project that he was cooking up with Thomas and that coming right from the centre being absolutely something that grew from him and 
your fear is is not being able to do that so much being told that actually your thing has to fit into this box and so please can you make something for this box and mm. yeah that authenticity from the artist isn't drawn out so much yeah John how do you feel about that um I agree with Emma and I think actually it could be a wake-up call for us I think our conversations are really important. Artists to artists are really important. And the more that we nurture that and find opportunities to build stuff that we're really excited about and stop thinking that we have to go down a route that was there before. Yeah. Um, yes, organizations are going to be there. Yes, organizations most probably want to get in involved with us, but our priority should be thinking that we're not there, some were not there, in our time of need. So let's drive a new path. I'm feeling very mm. radical this morning, I can feel. Let's I do need, it. I, I need a t-shirt or something and a slogan. <laughs> Emma and John have both got their arms in the air, punching. Punch Here's the exhilaration. Yeah. Yeah. This just is don't ask me come. to do it because otherwise I'll be shy. <laughs> I'm just putting the idea out there. Yeah. That's so yeah. funny. I yeah, but they... those moments have been exhilarating, I think. The moments of connection have been the exhilarating yeah. moments, you know? Yeah. When you're like, I, oh, the power is in our hands to do yeah. to do that, you know. Yeah, but you and know I what? Think I, we can I think do, I think we can do that if we put money aside and not be driven by money. Mm -hmm. We can have those conversations and we can build something and make something or start the, the process of it and then come from the kind of the money perspective of mm. of going. Yes, we do need to be paid still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we know we spend an awful lot of time, yes, working and then not working. So let's use that not working time mm -hmm. creatively together because we're in the same situation. Totally agree. Totally agree. Artists do have that resilience built in, don't they? Like you say, you're, you're used to periods of not working. It probably doesn't scare you as much as um, a city worker that's just lost his job. I'm sure I'm sure for you, you're just like, yeah, ne next job will come around soon and there's something I can do to make that happen by thinking up new ideas and approaching new people. But but you say, Emma, you know, does anyone expect anything of me? And and sitting as someone from an organisation, personally, I think that that people like you hold the solution to how we can keep culture vibrant when we can't bring people into a theatre in the conventional way. I think you've got the answers, not necessarily us. And I think finding out how to engage our freelance community and freelance artists in a way that does resource them for us to work together because you mm. you know the funding model is that the organizations are the ones who are the registered charities we're the ones that can get hold of the money yeah. and oftentimes you can't i mean it's great that the arts council have got uh, uh they're probably the only people i think that independents can go to for funding but but if they're not your friend you know you're out there on your own yeah. it's definitely about the way we we work together and and support each other that is going to take mm -hmm. us forward my personal opinion what does the future feel like for you two as we look into 2021 oh i think it's a mixed bag <laughs> there's fear and apprehension that another lockdown might be imminent which for me feels like it could be the final nail in the coffin that just goes can't get through this point but on the other side is, oh, I've got this new bag of tools. I've been able to sit and I've been able to edit and I've been able to make stuff. And I'm feeling really energized because I've got new connections with new people and my community 
or the people that we've been working with still want it you know so there's possibilities but there's also that scare of what's just round the corner absolutely Mm. how about you emma Mm. what's 2021 feeling like for you what's Uh... autumn feeling like for you (laughs) well i don't know um i think uh yes i mean hmm any any word from message in a bottle Um, that's how i feel um well there's there's a potential there's like you know i think that 2021 is everything's kind of in theory at the moment right so like in theory we're going to do this this and this i'm not kind of like i'm just keeping that in my awareness timeline of like okay that'd probably be around like march april maybe when things start to to move again um, so I'm not really thinking 2021. I'm thinking what's happening in the next six months. And again, I think there's a lot of just things for me that I can implement for me to better use my time and energy and like maintain being in a good headspace that I think is like the most important thing for me to think about rather than maybe like having a exact idea of like what it's going to look like at this moment in time. So there's my vague response about that. <laughs> How are you feeling now, Emma, in terms of uh, of your health? I'm so much better than I was. I took myself by the sea yesterday, so I could, like, I mean, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so I could just swim in the sea. I'm like, heal me, heal me, sea, heal me. <laughs> um, so it's really great. Like, I'm able to do a lot of things that I wasn't able to do. So I'm kind of going, okay, the basics of like being able to feel like I can exercise again and things like that. So it's good. Like, I'm, I'm dancing in my kitchen, obviously not breaking because that is. That is like super hardcore. So I'm kind of take I'm building it up again, but it feels it feels nice, and I'm feeling a lot better. So yeah, thank you. Does anybody have anything else that that, <clears throat> that you feel that I haven't asked that you would really like to say? I mean, I guess it's like this this thing we've already touched on of like we all hopefully everyone. I, I mean, I feel like everyone's had this time to really become more conscious of a lot of things, like whether that be within themselves or within the wider world and. Um, self-care and all of all of these things that just help keep people going and keep people connected like um, I guess the real I feel like this is the real like when we start to integrate back into like I mean there's never going to be the old way again but like in into things that are like present themselves as as the old way um, carrying that with us so that we remain really connected and that, that what's important remains at the center of of what we do because remembering that we are artists I mean, I'm, I'm speaking for myself here because it means something different to everyone, but like I'm an artist to make and create and to connect first. And I, I really liked what John was saying about, you know, like investing into things first before like necessarily reaping any financial reward. And like, you know, there was a point in time two, three years ago where I felt like I was just thinking about money, 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 this, money, that. And because I think as well as a, as a freelancer, you're constantly having to negotiate. You're constantly having to figure out like prove why you're deserving of like not very much money and uh, you know it kind of like it's you have to wear that hat of like business person and no one else is doing that for you and like it also is like this very tenuous bridge that you're on that you're like okay am I going to fall in is it going to burn or like what's going to happen am I going to get to the other side or am I going to have to backtrack and come back the way I am and like this idea of like this these tenuous links that you can kind of be so precariously judged to being like worthy or not worthy like I just hope that this really also grounds artists in their power and and, in their voice to know that you can speak up if something's not right and that you should speak up if something's not right and 
that we can all have each other's backs like rather than kind of going oh this is my issue I'm gonna have to solve it myself like actually this is someone else's issue can I help them solve that for them so they're not carrying the weight of that alone yeah you know yeah yes Emma and I I I have like my my wish list um my wish list from this would be that as artists we have more power we have more say and we feel we have more permission to Mm -hmm. challenge organizations to say no that is not right it should be done like this for us yeah um it's really heartwarming melanie to think that actually organizations are thinking that we have the power or the the tools to help us through these challenging times as a sector Um, my wish list would be seeing ways that organizations can openly say that so it's 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 really plain and easy to understand as artists that that is what your intention is and not some other kind of intention that you've got and that the organizations find a way that can support us as artists to de- develop without to the that, need of, yeah. to do that without the need of thinking that it's a product or there's a, there's an outcome mm-hmm. um, you know because um, it just feels like taking risks brings great reward but Absolutely. it's just having that um, ability to fail without judgment and then you we know. look at and when we look at the intersections of like who in the industry can fail and who can't fail that's a very different as well and like yeah. this idea yeah. that you have to suddenly have the this perfect product when you have one opportunity to do so is is ridiculous actually yeah um, and then my my th- final tick would be <laughs> thinking it. more for more people not mm. just who's on our list of like the, oh, I hate saying this the chosen few but it Perception-wise, it feels a little bit like that. There are a few chosen, and actually there's a bigger wealth of artists, dance artists out there, who could really support us. And who could make and do incredible things with, with that bit of support. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah, it's like, what does that support look like from organisations? If if organisations believe we do have have the power and the answer, like, what does their support look like to us as well? And, like, what is that laid out like? And, yeah, so it is, you know... T-shirt on. (laughs) T-shirt, that's it. Yep, let's start a parade. Here we go. (laughs) Or a virtual parade. Yes, let's do it. More for the many. Uh, Ground artists in their power. I think those are two slogans we should end this podcast on. This has been such a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much, John and Emma, for being with us today. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes about subjects moving artists of today, search for Talking Moves wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, spread the word. And for more information about John and Emma, head on over to greenwichdance.org.uk. And do remember, if you know someone you think we should talk to or have a topic you'd like us to talk about, please send us a tweet at Greenwich Dance. And for today, that's it from us. So join us next time where we'll be discussing more Talking Moves. <laughs>